This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morrison. This week we speak with Bates alum Amy Bass, whose book, One Goal, chronicles the Lewis and High School boys soccer team's run to the 2015 Maine State Championship, a team that was made up almost entirely of Somali refugees. Plus, we take a look at the women's track and field team's 8th place finish at the NCAA Championships, and the Bates softball team is off to its best start since 1994. All that and more, coming up on the Bates Bobcast. The women's lacrosse team defeated Babson 18-10 on Tuesday behind a red-hot start that saw the Bobcats spread out to a 9-1 lead before Babson made it a little closer in the second half. We caught up with head coach Brett Allen after the game. We had a lot of transition opportunities that we took advantage of early, and then uh, those sort of went away. You know, we didn't make great decisions, kind of got a little careless with the ball, and, you know, they were able to kind of claw back in a little bit and get, get some momentum. Is that sometimes happens where you get a big lead and then a low complacency might set in a little bit? No question. And I don't think it matters what sport it is. Mm-hmm. If you jump on somebody early, it's just instinct to relax. And I think we did that, and we had to get it back. I was hearing Teal Otley's name called a lot for goal score. What was opening up for her today? Well, um, Babson played us in a man-to-man, and I feel like we matched up pretty well in most uh, areas as far as the athleticism, the speed, that type of thing. Um, I think, you know, we don't necessarily try and devise plays for anyone in particular. I think she just happened to be in the right place at the right time and was able to capitalize tonight. Bates fell to number 18 nationally ranked Wesleyan by a score of 9-7 to on Saturday at home, and the men's lacrosse team lost a heartbreaker to number 2 nationally ranked Wesleyan by a count of 13-11. to Both teams take on Trinity this Saturday, with the men taking on the Bantams at Garcelon Field starting at 1 p.m. The skiing and indoor track and field teams competed at the NCAA Championships last week. Sophomore Kaylin Woods finished 25th out of 40 skiers in the women's 5K classical technique race and 23rd out of 40 in the 15K freestyle. Meanwhile, in alpine skiing, sophomore Griffin Mueller placed 30th in the giant slalom and 22nd out of 34 in the slalom. The two Bobcats combined to give Bates an 18th place showing in the nation. The women's track and field team finished 8th out of 105 schools at the NCAA Indoor Championships on the strength of four all-America performances in four events. Senior Sally Cisse placed second in the triple jump. Junior Aiden Eikhoff took fourth place in the 800 meters. And senior Catherine Cook placed seventh in the 3,000 meters and third in the 5,000 meters. Personal records fell in all four events, with Cisse and Eikhoff breaking team records. In men's track and field, senior captain Jack Kiley took seventh place in the mile run. Good for his first career All-America honor and good for male Bobcat of the Week honors. Meanwhile, senior captain Adedire Fakariti placed 11th in the weight throw. All our track athletes are catching up on academics this week, so women's head coach Jay Hartshorn looks back at the Bobcats' impressive conclusion to their indoor season. Recapping the NCAA Indoor Track and Field Championships with the head coach of the women's team, Jay Hartshorn. And first of all, Jay, three athletes this year but four All-Americas and an eighth-place finish in the entire country. That's pretty impressive, right? Three athletes getting eighth place as a team? It is really impressive, but also the team that won was basically one right. one girl one and a friend. Yeah. Um, the 
that second girl scored six points that they didn't need. So if you have really good kids, um, you can you can get a lot of points and, and make a big impact um, with just a few. Or, or other times you might be out there with 10 and be really happy with your meet but not score 10 points. So it just sort of depends on what kind of team you have. Well, Catherine Cook, uh, two All-America finishes for her. I mean, All-American now in cross-country and track, kind of a rare achievement in Bates history. Yeah, we've had – well, she was our first All-American cross-country in a really long time. Um, So Jess was kind of the first one to even, you know, have a lot of success for all three seasons Mm -hmm. um, recently. But my, I think, second year here, we had a girl that went um, All-American in outdoor and then got All-American cross-country indoor and outdoor. So that was sort of four – four in a row, and that at that time had, had never been done. So we haven't really um, made an impact in this in the distance races like we have the last two years for a pretty long time. And so what about the senior year for Catherine? Has not made it all come together, you think? Um, we saw this her sophomore year in track, which was sort of her last track season. She was actually pretty close to making nationals then, and at the end of that track season, she was beating kids that made it to nationals. So it was more like just when you had your right race. Um, a lot of people for distance races might qualify really early and then not really peter out, but not really be hitting the marks late. So she was hitting some really good marks late her sophomore year. And then she had a very good season um, in cross country last year. So I think we would have saw some of this last year. She just was abroad and um, and then did a lot of training over that period of, of being abroad in last summer and when you're running two distance races i mean one one day one the next right what's the key to maintaining like your level of you know r- race pace or whatnot in terms of you know endurance for back-to-back days like that? well the longer one was first yeah. so that certainly helps and we wouldn't have declared in both mm-hmm. had it been flip-flopped but uh-huh. since the longer one was first and that was the one we were really focused on then Everyone kind of does that. They just go, why not? So the 3K is always, for both men and women, really, really competitive because it's got all the 5K runners. It might have mileage coming back from that race. It has all the women who had um, good distance medley relays, and they were the anchors, and they came back, which is what Jess did last year. Mm -hmm. So they're all sort of expecting it. And the girl who actually won the woman who won the 3K was the last seed in. Oh, wow. So it, it's just always a very, very competitive race. You saw it on the men's side, people coming back, people doubling. Um, it's just sort of everyone has that, like, why not? So you're on the line with a bunch of other why nots. Um, and so I think it just sort of makes it like, all right, we're all a little bit tired, but we're all just going to do it. And it makes it maybe easier mentally because of that. Excellent. I think Aiden set a PR, right, in the 800? Yep. Her um, her finals time was about almost a two-second PR, which was um, a really big step up from the day before. She had she got in a little bit of traffic and had to work her way up in the, the day before. But in some ways that was kind of good because then it wasn't too fast. So you felt like going into the second day she had more out there where sometimes – if the trials are really fast, you're just trying to come back the second day and be like, can I even duplicate that? Um, so she definitely felt like the second day, like, okay, I feel, again, a little bit tired, but yesterday wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to run faster than yeah. this. Yesterday was like a setup, and, and then we had the real final. And then Sally, we knew, you know, she was national runner-up in outdoor last year. She said PR this time around, right? Yeah, she had a, she definitely had a really good meet. I mean, she did what she's sort of done all year. You, you can never be upset about hitting a PR yeah. at nationals. Um, 
but you know, of course, everyone goes in there being like, I'd like to win, yeah. you know, I'd like to do better, I'd like um, like to do this, but all her series was, was really, really good. Um, and it wasn't, it was an interesting meet because for both, all of the jumps, she didn't really feel like, man, people are jumping out of the building. You know, sometimes you get to nationals and you're like, whoa, they just did this, you did that. Um, so Sally and the woman in front of her definitely had really, really good jump days, but there wasn't that, like, tension coming from behind. You never felt like, any of the other people were gonna just like pop one off. Some of them did, but just to get where they were. Mm -hmm. I think like the girl who's third might have come in again, like maybe the 12th or 14th seed. So she had, you know, a heck of a day. Yeah. Um, but when two people sort of separated themselves by so much, um, and that the the woman who won has you know been a really good jumper, just like Sally has for the last three or four years too. And it's kind of I've been told before it's kind of rare to say a PR at nationals sometimes just because of the environment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was, um, I can't really think of like times when we've gone and been like, yeah, that was a PR and that was a PR and that was a PR. That's not usually what happens, but it kind of speaks to these, this group because they were like higher seeds. It's a little bit easier to be like more prepared and not feel like none of them had to like chase it to get in or really empty the tank to get in. They all, we all felt like in January, like, okay, you have your national mark, and then you can just sort of train from there and have a little bit of a different mentality. Um, we've had a lot of people that it's like, we're just like clawing and clawing and clawing to get in, and when you're clawing, it's a little bit harder yeah. to then go and say, okay, now I'm on the biggest stage and I need to make it happen again. The facility was also really nice. We were finally back on a bank track. You definitely feel like more comfortable for us, you know, to be on a bank track, the racing's, a little bit easier so that certainly helped also after meets her at BU right <laughs> yeah and that's where kids are kind of used to going fast and um, you know I Catherine ran a really fast 3k on a flat tight track so it's not like the track does the running for you but the passing's a little bit easier and the environment um, it was just a really good environment because there's like a lot more space to warm up a lot more space to hang out you just don't feel so constricted and I think that that really helps. A lot more space to even coach, too, which was nice. Wait, I remember last year at Indoors, there wasn't a whole lot of space in that Yeah, that, <laughs> that facility, you get there and you get your one seat, and yeah. you just, like, hope you don't have to, like, get up to do anything. And that's much harder to coach and, like, find mm -hmm. your athletes. This, you could kind of, like, really go anywhere you wanted. Um, so it just sort of set up the, the coaching environment was a lot better than it has been in past years. And for the men's team, I know obviously, you know, you being the women's coach, I know but you work with some of the, the men's athletes and vice versa with Al and some of the women athletes. So, I mean, Jack Kiley, mile run, pretty impressive, right, All-American? Yeah, you know, he he was, I think, one of the last guys in mm -hmm. um, to the finals. He was second to last in his heat, but he ran a really good last lap and really just did what he had to do to, to get in because his heat was faster than the other heat. So that set up really well for him. And then when you're getting to the actual day and you realize, oh, it, it's 10 guys are on the line, you you got to beat two of them, you yeah. got to do something. But um, the leader went out, the re leader's a guy who had um, run sub four this year, and he went out and just like took it. And so that kind of made the race a little bit more honest. And Jack does well when he just, like, gets in a rhythm and runs really um, honestly. So, you know, he could have been anywhere from second to tenth with two laps to go. It was a pretty incredible, like, everyone was running sort of fast together. And then it was just 
um, you know, sort of who could do it at the end. I think he might even be another, like, 20 meters probably would have caught yeah. a guy or two, but maybe other people feel that way. D-Ray, obviously a tough one for him in the weight throw, but, I mean, he's still got outdoors left, so I'm sure we'll be excited to see what he can do there. Right? Yeah, the the throws and the jumps, the field events are tough because you just get a couple chances to do it, and yeah. um, it makes, like, that sort of competitive day feel a lot um, a lot different. So he... He opened up really well and then had another one and was like, okay, that's, you know, that was still further, but never just got that, like, third one to, to get him in and to get him to get him those three more throws where you can really, like, make something happen. Um, so, yeah, of course, it's like as a senior, you're like, oh, man, you know, you wish you kind of got more chances, but he should have at least two more with discus and hammer outdoor, so hopefully he'll make it happen then. So for the women's team transition to the outdoor season now, what are some events you're really excited about and some athletes you're looking forward to seeing here? Well, it's nice to, like, add the 400 hurdles back in and the javelin and, like, sort of get some of that stuff rolling. We still have a lot of really good young freshmen, so to kind of get them, like, to outdoor, which is where people are usually a little more comfortable than indoor, just based off of high school. So some of our kids, if they've never even run indoor, are like, Whoo, can't wait to get outdoor, can't wait for the fresh air, can't wait to be in a big track. Um, so it just it changes a little bit from indoor to outdoor. It comes less like middle distance heavy. We add a 10k, so it's just fun to like see different events and and do different stuff. So we'll see where, you know, we stack up. But we just have really only four chances to qualify, and then we're at NESCAC some Trinity before you know it, and yeah. and then we're really rolling from there. Will Catherine be in the 10k? Um, yeah, her yeah. goal is to to run a 10k. She's definitely like longer the better. So yeah, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. All right, well, any other thoughts on the meet down there in Alabama? Just a trip in general, kind of going to a pretty new location, right? Yeah, I thought that the facility was really nice. The people were, like, used to hosting a lot of meets. They have swim meets. They have a big basketball arena. So it was more – it was just awesome to be at, like, a big facility. Um, and then for the students, I'm not sure anyone had been to Alabama before, so that was pretty fun, too, to just be like, okay, we're in some place different, a little bit warmer, um, but certainly nice to not be, like um, – cramped and um the the men and sally had a bunch of barbecue i did not make it to the barbecue oh. place but they were like all raving about the food uh, so that just definitely was it was nice to just be somewhere that's um not like our typical 10 schools that we go to in the midwest all right jay harshman thanks so much thank you the softball team went nine and three in florida last week the program's best start through 12 games since 1994 Sophomore Kirsten Pelletier threw a no-hitter in the season opener and went on to post a 5-1 record with a 0.99 ERA in the circle. And for that, she is our female Bobcat of the Week. Joined by female Bobcat of the Week, Kirsten Pelletier here on the Bobcast. And, well, Kirsten, first of all, no-hitter first game of the season for you. Um, obviously, that's a great way to start. What was really working for you out there in the circle? All my pitches were working. It was great to be able to get out there first game of the season and um, really see that my hard work this winter and this off season really paid off. Now, when the no-hitter is going throughout the game, do you realize you haven't got any hits? Did you even know after the game was over? <laughs> um, no, I knew I felt really good um, as the game was going. I didn't really put it together until Coach looked at me at the end of the game and was like, do you know what you just did? Um, so, no, I didn't know, but... It was a great feeling afterwards. 
So did the team know? Did they mob you afterwards? After Coach said it, yes. <laughs> but um, I don't think anyone really realized, and I think that just shows how focused in we were on every single pitch, every single at-bat, making every single out of that game. Nine and three trips were obviously very successful. Um, uh, what was uh, the initial impressions of some of your younger teammates uh, in their first go-around? Um, they really stepped up. Um, we really came together to support them and to support each other. Um, and nine and three record is great. It was awesome. Peyton hit the cover off the ball, didn't she? Oh, yeah. Peyton <laughs> definitely did. That was awesome. She definitely led um, our team and was a spark plug for our offense, um, which was great. She was awesome. And then for you, obviously, you're pitching you know, every single day, basically, down there, at least one game for you each and every day. So what was that experience like? It was just like playing summer ball, yeah. um, but what we prepared for this off season, coach really prepared us well to be able to do that. Today, I'm not sore at all, which is basically unheard of, but um, yeah, it was, it was great to want the ball back every single day. You also play some schools that come from all over the country, from different regions of the country. What was that experience like facing some schools you probably won't see again? <laughs> it was really cool. We played a lot of Minnesota teams. Um, which is definitely a different experience, but I think it shows that, um, I mean, Maine and New England is definitely a, a hub for softball and that we're going to make a name in softball. I got to ask you about the phantom home run. Apparently against UMass Dartmouth, that, that was the one game, you won five games, that was the one game, two nothing, but uh, apparently it was a very far foul. What was your impression in the circle about it? Um, I mean, you have to give her props. She, did put, <laughs> she put a good swing on the ball, but I watched it. Caroline and left watched it. We all watched it. Um, it was foul, even though it wasn't ruled that way, which is fine. Um, I mean, you roll with the punches, and we didn't have the offense that game, and you can't win a game without offense. So Now you have a little bit of time between now and your next game, right? You have doubleheader Southern Maine, but that's more in the month. So what do you think the folks are going to be in practice to prepare for the restart of the season, if you will? I think being down in um, Florida and really playing that amount of games, it really shows – what we really need to work on and I think that'll be our focus going in to these this month yeah. I guess um yeah and really focusing in on the things that we really need improvement on well what are you going to look on work on personally you think? being more consistent making every pitch matter um executing every single pitch and making that extra 33 percent of my pitches on the outside of the plate we saw Jimmy get her first collegiate win and Peyton get a couple wins as well so what was it like watching them pitch it was awesome. I'm really, really happy for them. They've definitely pushed me this off season, and I hope I've helped push them to be the best pitchers that they can be for this season. So um, our staff, pitching staff, working together this season is great, and I know that I can lean on them when I need them, and I hope they feel like they can lean on me when they need me. Dre and, and Caroline at the top of the order really sparked the offense pretty much every game, didn't they? Yeah, they were awesome. They are both speed demons at the top of the lineup, and uh, – really came through when we needed them. And then besides the no-hitter, maybe what was the pitcher performance you were most happy about personally? Oh, um, probably the one I gave up two hits, I think. Mm. I think they were a better hitting team, and um, I found myself getting into a better groove than I did even the first game. Because it's tough to see how good these opponents are, right? You don't really know anything about them coming in, do you? No, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> they come from all over, and um, I mean, I think it – uh, was probably their first games in Florida, too. So everyone's really getting their feet under them and knowing w where everyone's going to be in the lineup and things like that. So Give us a taste of the atmosphere. It's a bunch of different fields, a bunch of different teams, right? I mean, it just must be all it's softball heaven almost, right? 
It is. Uh, we always we laughed. We were like, we don't want to go home. This is paradise. You get to play two games a day in the hot sun, and uh, a lot of our parents come down, which is a really cool atmosphere. Um, and I mean, being surrounded by some of softball's best is really pushes you to work your hardest in your games, which is which is a great atmosphere to be around. Great. And any other thoughts on the trip and what you, your team got out of it? You think? I think we're all excited for NESCAC play. I think we know what we need to work on, and I think everyone's hungry for, for more. All right. Kirsten Pelletier, a female Bobcat of the Week. Thanks so much. Thank you. The baseball team swept Worcester State in a doubleheader on Saturday. Both games were close, with Bates winning 3-2 to two in 12 innings in Game 1 and 4-3 to three in Game 2. Junior Dan Truly is off to a strong start at the plate hitting 303 with a home run and seven runs batted in through eight games, including the game-winning hit in Game 2 Saturday against the Lancers. He joined the Bobcast to talk about braving the cold Saturday and more. We're pretty prepared for that being up in Maine. I mean, we deal with that almost every day. So we had layers on, we had our sweatshirts, our jackets going, we had hand warmers given by some of the parents. So, I mean, as tough, it is, as, tough as it is playing baseball in the cold, I think, We've been prepared for that from prior years, playing freezing weather up in Lewis and Maine. But, I mean, you can't really prepare for playing in that weather every day. But, uh, yeah, and it was windy, too. The wind's always tough. That's the worst part about it is the wind. Right, right. Uh, so how do you deal with the wind, personally? I mean, I just try to block it out. Yeah. try to think it's a little bit mental. <laughs> but uh, we're a lot of layers, and that's kind of how I dealt with it that day. Yeah. seems like after the California trip, you guys got back to what you did really well last year was win close games, right? Yeah, so I think – we came back and we really stressed uh, execution. So we had our pitchers doing a lot of drills to throw, uh, keep the ball low. And that was one thing that we didn't execute with in uh, California. Our pitchers were leaving the balls up and uh, guys were, guys in the team were driving the ball in the outfield. And that's what you don't want. You want guys to hit the ground, hit ground balls and we'll turn double plays. We'll make the plays in the infield. We make a, we have a really great infield this year. And I think that, um, especially with this weekend we saw, we only made one error. And in games like that, we're going to stay in every single time. Because pitching and defense is our strong suit this year, and I think our hitters are going to come around, especially with uh, us working on bunting so much. Um, we're going to execute in those pressure situations. Yeah, part of the challenge in cold weather is that's not really favorable for hitting typically, right? Yeah, it's tough to hit in that weather. I mean, our guys did pretty well. We had um, two sophomores, Zach Avila and Pat Beaton, really executed this weekend. Um, they both had huge hits and a lot of RBIs this weekend. So, I mean, those are two guys to watch out for this year, two sophomores. But, um I mean, our hitters did really well this this uh, weekend dealing with the cold weather, and especially coming off the California trip, we didn't hit too well in the whole trip. So, I mean, um, past two weeks we've really been trying hard to keep working on that, and that aspect of our game has definitely come come a long way from California. So after the twelve inning game, you play a seven inning game that yeah. could have gone to extra innings also, but you had yeah. the walk off hit. Yeah, uh, so, tell us about what you saw in that pitch. I mean, so we had the bases loaded for Zach Avila, who was up before me, and. He was he was crushing the ball yesterday. It was the other day. Um, he had a big hit in the game before, and I think he just missed the ball, popped it up to the first baseman, and then I got up and I knew I had to hit the ball in the air of the outfield because any ball in the air would have been uh, the game-winning hit. So I was just trying to hit the ball as hard as I could. I kind of nubbed it a little bit and got over the first baseman's head. It just landed fair, so we were lucky in that sense. But I got uh, crushed by all my teammates out in the out in the outfield, and that kind of hurt. But uh, it was great <laughs> to get that hit. It really felt felt awesome. Have you ever had walk-off hits before? Um, last year I had one against uh, 
I think it was Plymouth State. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, that, uh, yeah, okay. it was a deep fly ball to center yeah. field. <laughs> just, I ran center field away from my teammates. I didn't want to get hit, but, I mean, this time I just took it. So I wrote that Plymouth State game. That took a long time to finish. Yeah, that was, yeah. I think that might have been 14 innings. Yeah, you that beat was, the darkness. Yeah, that was long. That was long. <laughs> but uh, that, was, that was really fun. That's always the best game to, to win. Excellent. Now, um, you're a junior now. You mentioned a couple sophomores are having breakthrough years so far, and I know both had kind of small roles last year. What do you tell them about, or what do you talk to them maybe about, you know, increasing their roles this season, or what is the coaching staff been talking about? So I think um, Coach Martin is great about getting everybody in, um, and he says it all the time. He's not just going to put you in because he thinks that he thinks that um, he's trying to make it fair for everybody. He's, that's not his goal. His goal is to give everyone a, an opportunity. And we have opportunities every day in practice, in games. Um, he's going to basically give everyone a fair shot. And so I think that these guys last year, they all worked hard, and they might not have gotten as much playing time as they had wished. And, but they kept working, kept working in practice and scrimmages. And everything we did, they worked hard. And I think it's really shown because they had great games and great weekends. And um, there's definitely still – um, room for improvement with everybody in the team this year and every aspect of our game, hitting, defense, pitching. But I think we have some guys who can really play. And we have a lot of depth, and I think that's one problem. When you have this much depth, it's hard to get everybody in the game. And um, I think we're dealing with that well, though, because the guys that aren't playing every game, the guys that are on the bench, are still working just as hard as everybody else. And that team chemistry has been great. So. Yeah, the roster is huge. The roster is yeah. huge, 33, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think people are dealing with it well. Like The freshmen, the freshmen aren't getting frustrated. Um, nobody's complaining about playing time. Everyone's uh, being a great teammate and cheering, so our bench energy has really kept us in games. Now, you got to play quite a bit as a first year, if I recall, and then you stepped into the middle of the lineup last year as a regular yeah. and middle of the order game. What's it like being in that cleanup spot? Um, I mean, I used to hit third, fourth, or fifth in high school, mm -hmm. too, so – I kind of got used to that spot, but I really like being there because we get so, we usually get guys on base, and I like hitting with guys on in that um, on base in that position because a little bit of pressure and you kind of want to you need to execute in that position. So, um, I mean, I guess I could say I'm used to it, but I don't I don't want to I don't know I I don't know I like I like hitting where I'm hitting. So and you got a home it. run already this year, right? Yeah, hopefully yeah. hit a couple more of those. <laughs> But uh, that was a great feeling hit when I was in California, yeah. The weather was a lot better than this, though, so it's tougher out here. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you're having the Netscack opener there in the month, right, against Bowdoin. Yep. Um, obviously, Bowdoin and Colby, you guys swept them last year. Yep. That must have been a cool experience, right? Yeah, that was great. I think um, this year we're going to come in with the same intensity. We're trying to flatline the whole season, play every game like it's a Netscack game, so we can basically compete at the same level in every game. And um, Coach Martin has really stressed that, so we're hopefully going to come into these NESCAC series with the same intensity every single time. The two captains, Connor Russell and Jake Shapiro, what are they like as leaders? Oh, they're great guys. Um, we see a lot of intensity from those two. Um, they really push us to work hard. Uh, both of them pitched really well this weekend. Like um, Russell really settled in and threw very well in that first game, and then Jake came in and shut it down. So those are two guys that are great leaders on our team, and they really push everybody to become better. And it's good when they have, you know, good command like Russell, right? Because it keeps the defense like yourself into the game. A little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, those guys work a little bit quicker mm -hmm. than um, – I think that was, I think that's stressed by Coach Martin. Though. I think yeah. he wants our guys to work quick because if you've a guy working really slow, you get really bored in the infield. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those guys are working quick this weekend, so it was easy to play infield for them. You've played some third base. You've played some first base. Yeah. Uh, you settled in at first base, it seems like, right? Yeah, I think I've yeah. settled in at first base a little bit more this year. Is that where you played in high school? Or? Um, in high school, I was a pitcher only my junior year. Oh. And then I got hurt, so then I started playing third and first, and then I finished the year at first. So I'm comfortable with both positions. I kind of like playing first better, but 
What were some of the key roles you see yourself you know, at first base in terms of helping out the infielders? Maybe? Um, I mean, I have really long arms. <laughs> That's one thing. <laughs> so I can reach yeah. the ball. But uh, I, I don't know. I just feel comfortable at first base. Um, pretty good at receiving the ball from the other infielders. So we have a great infield this year. I mean, um, we have some guys, some moving parts. But the guys we have are all great. Excellent, excellent. Um, just and I know last year, you know, John Martin said this. You know, in offense they hope you know more runs, right? I mean, last year you guys, yep. you know, you you won a lot of games, but you could have used probably some more runs, right? So that's been kind of a point of emphasis, like the small things, right? Yeah. So we're we're really focusing on the little things. We're doing a lot of bunting in practice. Um, like I was saying, our whole theme this year is execution. So if we can execute those sacrifice bunts, move guys over, steal some more bases, um, then we're gonna produce like. Uh, we're going to have a great season. So I think that our hitting is going to come around. We're working and working and working every day. So once that comes around, our pitching and defense is already there. Um, obviously, there's room for improvement. But I think from this weekend, what I saw was that we were pretty close to where we want to be. Um, so once our hitting comes around, I don't think we're going to be a force to reckon with. All right, Dan Truly, thanks so much. Thank you very much. The women's tennis team rolled to a 9 nothing win Saturday against Hamilton, improving the Bobcats' record to 6-1 and one on the season. Senior captain Maisie Silverman continues to thrive on and off the court. She won at number one doubles and number one singles on Saturday, and she is a finalist for the inaugural ITA and Lebedev Leadership Award. Silverman is currently interviewing for jobs in New York City, but she got on the phone to talk Bates women's tennis with the Bobcast. Maisie, first of all, I wanted to ask you about the season so far. A great start for the women's tennis team. You're the, you're, you're the lone senior. What's been like uh, leading I this uh, young group of Bobcats who are doing so well so far? Honestly, I, it's such an exciting time for everyone. And being a senior, I mean, I don't feel like, I, although I am the only senior, I definitely don't feel like I'm the lone wolf. Everyone has really stepped up, and everyone's a leader on the team, which I think is amazing. And just the team culture this year has really transformed. It's great to see how everyone is playing for each other on the court, and there's just this love and this family um, kind of aspect with this year as well. And then you play at number one singles and number one doubles as well, and you have been for the last few years. And yeah. So what's that experience been like in college playing at the top of the ladder like that? Definitely. Well, I mean, I first started playing number one single sophomore year, and obviously it's such an adjustment. You have to be very mentally tough as well as athletically tough, especially in the top position. But this year, you know, it's my senior year, and I've really overcome a lot of mental obstacles, um, and I'm just ready to play this year. And I think the motto basically has been no fear, and I've been stepping out having no fear against who my opponent is. I know you and Bella were both dealing with some injuries recently, but it was cool yes. to see you know some young players like Hannah Sweeney step up, right? Right. Hannah has been doing incredible. She's such a great player overall, um, especially last weekend. That's when that's when we had the three matches. We she stepped up. Lauren Hernandez stepped up. Sue stepped up. Haley. Everyone stepped up because the whole lineup shifted two spots. So to see these girls, you know, be put in circumstances where they're not really used to, um, and just go out there and compete and give it their all has been incredible to see. Even if I'm on the sidelines and I can't play. I want to ask you about some of your off-the-court um, activities here at Bates. You're part of the Student Athletic Advisory Committee. Uh, what's that experience been like being on that committee? Um, it's been great, you know, uh, the Student Athletic Committee goes over all different types of sports. We really have been focusing on, you know, making this 
the sports updates better, um, giving back to the community. We've done a series of different fundraising events. Um, we did one in the beginning of the fall, giving back to the hurricane relief. We just did one for Falwell Kitchen, and we raised over $300, which has been great as well. You also introduced tennis to some elementary schools in the area. Tell us about that experience. I'm from Brunswick originally, so yeah. giving back to the community has been a huge aspect with what I want to do, especially because I'm from Maine. So introducing tennis, you know, with Special Olympics, also with some of the schools around Brunswick and in Lewiston has been great to see how tennis can be a source to not kind of get away from everyday life and how much joy it brings children. Um, and, you know, it's just been really exciting to see how much people enjoy it and how it brings them joy. So you coach some children in tennis, and so do you think you'll get into coaching after you graduate college at all? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've done the tennis coaching route for sure, but I think I'm focused more on something that is not tennis. But the jobs I'm looking forward to kind of incorporate the skills I've looked at right, or I've developed through tennis, you know, leadership skills, team collaboration. So it all kind of intertwines. Yeah, and the reason why you're on the phone with us, you're in New York City right now interviewing for some jobs. You don't have to get into specifics, but tell us how that process is going. <laughs> uh, well, I am in New York right now. Definitely the interview process is, it's, it's, a, it's, not, it's a challenge, but I'm having a great time. The interviews went really well. Um, I'm definitely excited to get a job, but <laughs> I'm here. I have one today, and then I have another one tomorrow. So we'll see how those go. Excellent, excellent. And then now you're up for this ITA uh, Leadership Award. It's in its first year, but you're one of the finalists, and I know there was a very involved application process. What does it mean to be a finalist for this Leadership Award to you? It's such an honor, and I'm so appreciative of the whole process. Um, just to be recognized as a leader, not only on the court, but off the court, I think is what this award really embodies. And, you know, I've tried to be a leader in the classroom, um, a leader with my family, a leader with the girls on the team, and just a leader in every aspect at Bates. So I'm so grateful, and it's been great. My coach actually nominated me. I had a team member, Bella, write a recommendation for me and also some of my professors as well. So I'm very proud to be a finalist. What was your reaction when you heard Coach was nominating you for this? Um, I was so appreciative, and it's such an honor. You know, he's really been there through me, with me through the ups and downs of college. Also, um, you know, I've been a leader, like I said, with my family as well, so he knows what's going on with that. And just for him to, you know, really recognize what I've done and what I've been through, um, I'm just so grateful for all right, so the team is 6-1. and one. Looking forward yeah. to the rest of the year, what are you most excited about? You know, I'm just excited to just keep playing and being with the girls. We've had this mantra and this mindset to not go out um, to compete against, like, to not go out to win, but we've had the mantra to just go out and to compete, and we've done that with every single match. You know, if we leave every single thing out there on the court, there's nothing we can regret. We've been going out with no fear, and to just see how much everyone is fighting for each other on the court is something really incredible to see. Everyone loves each other on the team, and we're doing it for us. So I'm really very happy. This is by far my favorite season. Um, and just to see how much joy everyone is having and how much fun everyone's having through our season as well. 
Excellent. Well, Maisie Silverman, thanks so much for joining us on the Bobcast. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Thanks for calling me. The number 19 nationally ranked Bates men's tennis team defeated Hamilton 9-0 on Saturday before falling in a tightly contested match to number 3 Middlebury by a score of 7-2 on Sunday. The Bobcats pushed the Panthers to the brink in both doubles and singles play. Senior Andrew Bergeis did not play Sunday, but he did play Saturday, winning in three sets at number 6 singles. It is significant because this was his first ever NESCAC match, and one he is unlikely to forget anytime soon. The day started with me not being in the lineup, and then uh, we fit, we found out that one of our players was hurt, so everyone had to move up a spot in the lineup, which put me in, and everyone like rose to the occasion, everyone stepped up. And yeah, it was, it was really exciting uh, to be on the court uh, for yeah a real match. It was my first time, and yeah, I, I was definitely nervous. Uh, the the match started off pretty rough for me. I lost three deuces in a row. I was down 0-3, and then yeah, I just had to figure out how to claw my way back. And uh, the fan, like I mean, my friends really helped, and the team really helped. Everyone got loud for me, and I I was just having fun. Well, I believe yeah, your match was like the last one to, yeah. to to go. So what was it like having everyone watching you? Also, I think it definitely helped uh -huh. because they all got loud, and you know, it really helped me raise my energy and. Yeah, I just c tried to focus on playing my game and uh, playing aggressive, going to the net, and if I was going to win or lose, losing on, on my accord, like playing my game. After you got the victory in that third set, uh, tiebreaker there, well, what did the coach say to you, anything? Uh, he just said congrats, enjoy the moment. It, it was really fun. Everyone ran on the court. Uh, everyone was giving me hugs. It, it felt <laughs> a lot bigger than it probably was, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It, it was just really fun. Well, you personally, I mean, you're a senior now. Let's go back to when you were choosing colleges. You're from Toronto. So what made you come down here to come to Bates? Uh, I think what ultimately made my decision was I, I did want to play tennis at the college level. And uh, going to a Canadian school would not do that uh, in terms of they do have a league, but it's not as strong. Uh, going to the States for tennis or any sport is definitely what you want to do if you're looking to you know be a, a real college athlete and I yeah Bates was a perfect mix between a really good academic school and one where I could compete at a very high level I'm curious because I've been to Toronto big city coming to not so big city I guess Maine a little smaller atmosphere what was that transition like for you um I mean it, it definitely is a lot different uh I don't think the transition was very hard because immediately when I was on campus as a freshman, you have your own little community as, like, the team. You know, you're not really felt like you're alone ever. Uh, you just, Yeah, you just have that community right off the bat. So I think the transition was, was very easy for me. Uh, you know, it's not your life is very structured being on a varsity team. You know, it's not like you're sitting in your room, you have practices every day, you have team dinners, you're on the road. So I, I think the transition was very smooth because of that. And you've stuck with it. I mean, we just mentioned that was your first, like, real match now coming as a senior. What made you kind of stick with it all these, all the, all these years? I love the group of guys uh, that, yeah, that are on the team. Um, I, 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 I mean, I just really enjoy my time with the team and trying to help everyone get better and watching everyone grow. I think we're a really close group this year, closer than other years. And I think it's showing on the court where everyone seems to be fighting for each other. When you're getting loud, it's so that you're pumping up your teammates. And it's really fun to see. We've, 
we've done a lot of work in the off season and it seems to be paying off right now like we're in great shape and we're all fighting for each other yeah it's not like you've gone you know three years without playing you do play it's just in matches that aren't scored normally so this probably wasn't a too big of a shock to the system or anything right no, yeah. I mean, definitely heart rate was up at the uh -huh. beginning of the match. I yeah. uh, would have liked to be up in the score and not trying to climb back into the set. Mm -hmm. But I think, I mean, definitely in the in the third set breaker, I didn't feel the nerves. I was based, in my mind, I was just like, if I'm going to lose or win, it's going to be on my terms. So that meant being aggressive, going to the net as many points as I could, and just making him come up with a shot versus me missing. And that, that's what I tried to do. And, yeah, I came up on the upper end. So, Excellent. Now, you've been all academic during your time here at Bates. What's your area of study? I'm a psychology major and a philosophy minor. Gotcha. So you're a senior now, so are you looking into what you're going to be doing after uh, graduation here? Yeah, trying to figure that out. Um, I have a couple tracks that I'm kind of looking at. Uh, I, I definitely want to try and work in the sports sector. Mm -hmm. So that might include going to law school and trying to become an agent trying to get an internship with an agency or maybe going to sports marketing. I'm not really sure which route I want to take. I think it will kind of depend on who takes me <laughs> and then and then I kind of will just go with wherever the wind takes me, but I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to enjoy my last 2 months at at Bates and then I'll try and figure it out in the real world. <laughs> so psychology, so that trip to California you guys do every year where you meet with Dr. Jerry Lynch, that must be extra interesting for you, right? Yeah, I think it, it's very interesting to see how he, uh, yeah, how he says we should approach each match. I mean, we put a lot of emphasis on the process, and we're really not focused on results. We're focused on like playing for each other and playing free. And as long as we're doing that, we're we're happy with how we're playing. And I think it's really resonating with the guys this year. I mean, we pl we just played Middlebury, which is one of the top teams in the nation, if not the best team in the nation. And I mean, you up and down every court on uh, Sunday you could just see everyone fighting and the match was it was a war like mm -hmm. every court I think their coach came up to ours and you know he said like wow this is a real team and I mean if we can keep that momentum going like we're gonna make some noise this year it's, it's really exciting to be a part of this team excellent Andrew Bergheis thanks so much for joining us here on the Bobcats thank you for having me College of New Rochelle history professor and Emmy winning sports researcher Amy Bass is a Bates grad and the author of one goal a coach a team and the game that brought a divided town together. The true story of the Lewiston High School soccer team, its road to the 2015 state championship, and how the team's Somali players contributed to victories on the field and healing in the community. She is speaking Wednesday at 4.15 p.m. in Bates Commons, room 221. But today, Bass joins the Bobcast. So as a Bates alum, Lewiston is always sort of in my radar, in my in my landscape. Um, but it was a it was a friend from Bates who stayed in Maine after graduation, who posted a small story about the team on her Facebook page of all places. Um, so inspiration comes from some crazy, unexpected places, and this one came from Facebook. Um, I was I was really interested in seeing how this game was being played and who was playing it in a city that. I know that I, I didn't know as well anymore because of the changes that had taken place. And it was a moment in our national discourse in which refugees were very much at the forefront of the conversation. So these things sort of moved together. And I wrote that first piece in November 2015 for CNN. 
So what's really interesting about the book is that it feels like we're in the moment and you're right there next to the team, but this was all done in retrospect. How did you go about the reporting process and then the writing process to make it seem like you were right there next to them? So I'm a historian by training. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a history professor. I was a history major at Bates with Dr. John Cole. Um, so putting things together, digging for as evidence, being able to, to create timelines is, is what I do. Um, so this was a little bit more of a journalistic endeavor in terms of, you know, me writing narrative nonfiction for the first time, but it was, it was, you know, the amazing, first of all, foundation laid by the Lewiston Sun Journal, um, and sport, you know, I've always taken sports writers very seriously. All of my books, uh, have involved taking sports writers very, very seriously. Um, so Lewiston was very lucky to have, um, the work of Kevin Mills, who unfortunately passed away last year. Um, but I was so glad that I had the chance to, to our paths to cross, um, while, while still starting this project. He wrote about this team in 2014. And, you know, this was before they won a championship um, in a way that was really interesting. So being able to pull in that treasure trove and then embedding myself in Lewiston and talking and talking and talking to people, talking to players, talking to coaches, talking to teachers, community members, people who were at the game. Um, I will say in this moment in time, what has been recorded on people's iPhones and uploaded to YouTube is an incredible resource. So, you know, a, a player saying, oh, you know, I took video that night at the pasta dinner before that game. And, you know, here it is. And being able to watch that and talk to people about what's going on. It was, uh, it was, it's what a historian does. We we're terriers. We dig. Yeah. You mentioned being a history major here at Bates. How did that education, that background, the liberal arts background as well, help you prepare for, you know, maybe writing this book down the road in your career in general? You know, I think that one of the things that, that liberal arts majors find the longer they move away from their undergraduate years, and, and I certainly tell this to my students, is that you never know when you're going to pull these skills in, you know, and, and no matter what you major in and what you do, being able to write well, being able to listen being able to analyze material, being able to ask really good questions. I think all of that starts with your liberal arts base. Um, so, you know, interviewing is not something that I had done a whole lot of before, but being able to engage people in conversation and figure out what I wanted to know, uh, I think all of that comes back to, to the foundations I got at Bates. A lot of your interview subjects were obviously high school kids or recently graduated high school kids. How were you able to get into their heads so well? Because we hear their, like, their innermost thoughts throughout this book. You know, I think um, I came to Lewiston when I started working on this book in the fall of 2015, and I had a very typical research agenda from every other book that I'd ever, you know, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this. And some of that happened. And some of it I had to throw out the window and just start hanging out in Lewiston and becoming comfortable with folks and enabling them to trust me and to sort of embolden them to understand that their stories are important. And so it took place over a really long period of time, you know, the better part of 18 months. And I kept adding to it. You know, a, a kid would remember something and say, oh, you're, you don't, you're not interested in that. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I am. No, no, no. Let's talk more about that. You just remembered that? One of the things that is amazing about this team and their coach, their head coach, Mike McGraw, sort of a local legend, he has he's a storyteller by nature it's his personality he remembers everything so being able to say you know coach in this game against lawrence high school you know this is what ben did and what do you remember about that and him talking about it and then going and talking to ben and then going and talking to you know somebody who was in the stands that day and and figuring out um figuring out how it went down 
and then reading, you know, what did the Lewiston Sun Journal write about this game? What did the Bangor paper write about this game? Um, you know, what's been posted on YouTube about this game? I'm really lucky that in 2015, the goalkeeper coach, Per Hendrickson, his friend was was taping everything. Um, and he was very generous with that footage. Um, so these are all things that these are all tools to bring together and, and to, you know, really think about what, you know, what's going through an athlete's head um, when he or she is on the field, I think is a really important part of a story. I know you mentioned that Coach McGraw thought long and hard about giving you access, letting you interview him about this team. If he had not given you that access, does this book even happen? No. Yeah. Um, and mostly because it shouldn't happen mm -hmm. if he wasn't comfortable with it. And, and I'm really respectful for that. If he had said yes right away, I also would have been really cautious mm -hmm. because I did want him to think about it. And the fact mm -hmm. that he did think about it, I think, was really important. You know, they, in that moment in time... They were inundated with local media, with some national media. Um, I certainly wasn't the only one with an interest in this team, but I think, you know, one of the things that Coach McCraw did, he read some of my other books, which I thought was was really incredible um, because they're pretty academic books. And, mm -hmm. and he got to know that I'm a stickler for detail and I dot I's and I cross T's and, and I think that that helped a lot. Um, I also made sure before my first conversation with him that I knew everything about Lewiston soccer that I could yeah, so that like yeah. if he wanted to drop a random fact about a game, I could pick up on it and we could go. Right. And I think that went a long way. Excellent. Now, having attended Bates, uh, lived in Lewiston for four years, you've mentioned before how this was almost like a homecoming for you and learning more about the community than you ever known before. Or maybe, I mean, we know about the, you know, the Somali refugees and everything, but what were some other aspects of Lewiston that have changed maybe since you were in college or that you learned about coming back? I learned a lot about Lewiston. I mean, I was a very typical college student. I will admit colossal amounts of ignorance about Lewiston when I was here. I cared about my friends. I cared about my classes in that order. Um, <laughs> I cared, you know, Lewiston, if I'm going to be brutal honest, Lewiston happened to be the city that Bates was in when I went to college. And I think two things. I think returning as an adult, um, I have a very different perspective on that. I think embedding myself with this community has given me a different uh, perspective. But I also think Bates has a different flow and a different energy in terms of Lewiston. I see a lot more care um, on both sides um, between Bates and Lewiston. And I think that the flow and the energy and the vibrancy of Lewiston, uh, Bates is part of that. Um, I get asked a lot, you know, how did Bates help? with Lewiston's refugee community. And I think, you know, that's actually a two-sided question because I think that this community has also energized Bates. Mm. Excellent. Now, the book is very hopeful, very optimistic, I feel like. But obviously, towards the end, you're like, you start thinking to yourself, and you mentioned this in the book, well, everyone united around, or a lot of people united around this team, and then the community turned around and voted the majority for a president who does not support refugees, basically. What's that dynamic like in your mind? You know, I think that what your local relationships are don't always translate into what your worldview is. Um, and I think that a lot of the soccer players have experienced that with, you know, kids saying, you're okay, I'm glad you go to my school, but, but no more of them. And not understanding that, you know, the us and the them, those lines are a lot blurrier than people think. Um, you know, that community had this amazing moment where thousands of them watched this soccer game and took pride in this soccer team. A coming together doesn't necessarily mean a staying together, and so it, it just means more work. I also thought it was interesting how the players reacted to individual racist incidents they experienced versus what the coaches sometimes react to. I, I feel like the coaches all had different ways of reacting. I know some of the assistants were a little bit more aggressive in their response than maybe Coach McGraw. How did you notice about how they handle sometimes 
those racist incidents, people were calling out, you know, names and stuff like that. Well, I think it's all a learning curve for them. Yeah. I think that Mike McGraw takes his position as head coach very seriously. Mm-hmm. It's a responsibility as anyone who's a coach or anyone who's a player who works with a coach knows that, you know, you're really the last say on how the team is represented and, and who's talking about it. And, and Mike is very aware of that. You know, Mike McGraw grew up in Lewiston, went to Lewiston High School, teaches at Lewiston High School. Um, so, you know, he's been on the front lines of that change for a, of, of these changes for a long time. But I think that his philosophy that the only way to retaliate that doesn't hurt you is to put numbers on the board. Um, and he he does that. He puts the game first in everything that he does. And that has that has worked wonders. Um, that said, it's a learning curve. It's really hard. If a kid punches you in the stomach, it's really hard not to punch a kid back. If a kid says something about your mother, it's really hard not to lay him flat. Um, and what McGraw wants to instill in these kids is score. You want to hurt them, score. Um, and that's something that, yeah, the assistant coaches, you know, different different passions and different, you know, nerves are going to be struck, and they're all gonna they're all gonna learn from it and and do it differently, perhaps next time. It was one of the most challenging aspects of reporting this was the fact you were interviewing a lot of teenagers, and they can be all over the place sometimes. Um, I learned they were so mad I didn't have Snapchat. They were like, but oh. that's how we communicate. And I'm like, no, I'm just not a Snapchatter. Um, you know, I I had to adapt to their rhythms because this was their story. So, you know, if I said, can you meet me at Druin Field at 2 o'clock? And I had to know that sometime between 2 and 4 they were going to show up at Druin Field. And that's not, you know, people will say, you know, how tough is it to, to interview kids from a different culture or who might speak a different language primarily? That that is what it is. Teenager was absolutely the rhythm that I had to get used to. Um, but they got they, that said, it worked in my favor because they were so adaptable to having me constantly there, hanging out. They went with the flow. They're incredibly generous. They're super funny, and they're also rock star soccer players. I mean, it was just a privilege to be able to watch how they train, how they observe, how they practice, how they talk about soccer, and how they play games. Um, so really, I was the lucky one accommodating whatever I needed to do to be there. As someone who's a historian, you can probably see what I'm thinking right now. Is this story obviously is not over. I mean, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the line, this might be a follow-up in the order, right? Well, you know, we actually literally had to stop the press's moment with this book yeah. because they went and won the championship again this past fall. So yeah. we were... We were minutes away from just being like, we are done, print it, and they won again. And and I knew that they were going to, and, and Mike McGrock and I had early conversations in September. I said, you know, coach, it's not a dream team again, but there's something about this team. And he was like, there is, there is, there's something about this team. So it was a wild ride. Part of that ride took place right here at Bates because they were, you know, their fields yeah. were under renovation. So their home field this year was Garcelon Field. And I kept thinking, like, this is kismet. This is fate that this is going to happen again. And it happened again. So the book has a very unexpected postscript um, where there's sort of this beautiful circular ending to this story with, with who's scoring a winning goal and, and how it's happening. Um I don't have a sequel in mind. I think that this team, we've seen it, you know, yesterday um, I was over at Maine Immigrant and Refugee Services and there was a bunch of sixth graders there from the middle school team. And, you know, these are the little brothers and they're they're ready to step up. Uh, did you get the chance to meet with the Vate soccer team? I understand you were planning on doing that. I have or... met with some of the coaches this morning. And oh, okay. I think some of them are going to come tomorrow. So what was it like meeting with some of the Vate soccer coaches? What did they want to know about this story? I think that they're, you know, 
again, it's just like McGraw put soccer first. That that talking about soccer is talking about soccer, and who happens to be playing it is is just sort of a bonus. Um, soccer has always in the United States been a community game because, you know, people will say, oh, you know, soccer, Americans don't like soccer. Well, it's the most popular sport that kids play. So on Saturday mornings in the fields across America, Americans love soccer. You know, there are millions of kids playing it. We're second in the world only to China in terms of how many people play it. Um, I, I think that, you know, talking about soccer on a community level is part of any coach's life. One thing I didn't see in the book, but I was really curious about during your reporting, did you come across any Lewiston residents who were like, yeah, before the Lewiston soccer team, you know, made this run and kind of inspired everybody. I wasn't a huge fan of the refugees, but now my opinions changed. Did you hear anything like that? Well, it isn't, I, you know, I didn't ask anybody if their opinions okay. were changed. Yeah. Um, I think that there is a, there's a very subtle thing that happens in the book. Um, maybe it's too subtle if you didn't notice it. Oh, my apologies. No, 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 my apologies. Um, one of the things that McGraw started to notice, if you go to a Lewiston football game at Don Roo Field, mm -hmm. which is all going to be changed now, but this, yes. these are the fields that I'm writing about. Right. Um, um, if you look up, you know, Lewiston High School, you have to come down a hill into a driveway off East Avenue. Yeah. And there's these old men who sit up above on the side of the driveway in camp chairs because they don't want to pay admission. And it's a good view. They have sort of a drone view of the football field. Over the last couple of years, those men have started to come out for soccer games. Mm -hmm. And that's a real change. Um, so you have that. You have, you know, 4,500 people at Fitzpatrick Stadium in 2015. That's a crazy number of people at a soccer game. That's more than we're at the state football championship, you know, that year. So, yeah, there's fans. I think, you know, there's, there's two very minor characters who just have a tiny snapshot in the book, Dan and Jeannie Martin. And I hung out with them for a game because they don't have a kid on the field. Their mm -hmm. daughter played years ago for Lewiston. They started watching when the Somalis started coming. They love soccer, and they're there. They were there wrapped in a blanket watching. I actually I knew that they'd gone to the state championship. They know every player. They know their pros. They know their, their weaknesses. They worry about them when they play in the cold. You know, those fans exist now. Um, it isn't just people who have kids on the field, and I think that when a community has that kind of attachment to a sports program, only really good things can happen. The politicians who said some things, the mayor who wrote that letter, obviously you did a great job reporting on those incidents. Did you ever reach out to them directly? And obviously they probably didn't have any comment if you did. So my, I definitely, and it's in the book, you know, I had meetings at City Hall yeah. um, and met with um, city administration and, and did interviews. But this book isn't their story. Right. Um, so folks like that get headlines all by themselves. Sure. And they get their stories told all the time. And so it's a choice in terms of whose story you're going to prioritize, mm -hmm. and the team was the priority. Absolutely. Well, one thing I found really great about the book was you mentioned all these like local institutions I've been to. Like you know, you can mention Gippers there. They had a brief mention. Some you know, local institutions like one of our coaches here at Bates, Skip Capone, gets a mention and stuff. Was that a fun part of the book? Like mixing in some of those local references that people around here will understand right away. I think that there's a bunch of that. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, you can, if you're a Lewiston local, there's certainly some things that are going to grab your attention. If you're a soccer fan, there are things that I refuse to explain that if you're not a soccer person, you got to go Google this. You did explain goal kicks, though. I, I, I did. Well, there's, there's, <laughs> you're not going to understand the entire structure of, of how they win if you don't understand right. that. But, you know, I had, I had one early reader, um, a friend who read it, and she goes, I don't know what like a cry of turn is, and I don't know what a fence is mm -hmm. or a drag, and maybe there should be a glossary. And oh. I was thinking, you know, you do have those moments, you know that they're playing soccer, you know that these are soccer moves, that right. these are ball handling skills. You don't need to know more than that. And if you do want to know more than that, then you can go Google what a feint is. Um, so I think that there's, you always sort of make choices about 
about people kind of having an insider perspective at different parts of a book. Mm. Um, you know, Somali cuisine, I don't explain. There are, there's lots of Somali cuisine in this yeah, book. Yeah. Um, and if you don't know, I think Sambusa is the only one that I really finally on its like fourth reference talk about um, because it is the one the one item that I think has sort of transcended all, all cultures in terms of people's love for it. But I think that you make those choices and, and every once in a while it's good for somebody to, to make a little effort to learn something. Great. You know, thoughts on what this book maybe taught you about Lewiston and about the community in general here? I think that there's a lot of really good things going on. I think this community is working really hard to be a community. Um, I think there's still a lot of challenges ahead. I don't think everything's perfect. And I think that it's okay to say that. I mm -hmm. think it's okay to say that a community is not perfect and still understand that there's good things that are going on. There's still fights to be had. Um, I think that, you know, I want people to walk away. One of my favorite things that the players say about coach is he doesn't care where we're from as long as we pass the ball. And I think that there's a lot to take away um, from a community that is working like that, a team that's working like that, and, you know, maybe apply it to our own lives a little bit more. Amy Bass, thanks so much. Thank you, Aaron. Next time on the Bates Bobcast, we'll preview the NCAA Swimming and Diving Championships and look back on a busy weekend for women's tennis, baseball, and lacrosse. That's next time on the Bates Bobcast. Bye.